When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. One day in the pub, Seb and Verity were socialising with hilarity. They knew there and then that their options were vast. They bought some equipment and made a podcast. What do you think you are doing, you twits? It's cliched and obvious, you know. My name is Seb Phil Potts. And my name is Verity Simmons. And this is Three, Three in, in a, a Bar. bar. Woohoo! Yeah. And if this is your first time you've listened to us, then we chat to a different musical guest each week. Different kind of uh, musical guests. We've had all kinds of like instrumentalists. We've had, um, oh, I can never remember this bit. Journalists. Journalists. I'll chuck that one in. Um, what else I, was just, I always try and say this and then I just cut it out because it sounds shit. <laughs> Oh, we chat well. to different musical guests each week. We do. And thanks for joining us. We've got a great guest this week. We chatted to him a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. he is a entrepreneur. Yes, he, he is. is. A um thinker. He's a, a <laughs> He's a market well, he's a marketing consultant as well, which oh, yeah. sounds like the least exciting thing to say about him, but actually Actually, he's ruddy good at it and he does lots of consulting. He consulted us even. Oh, that's right. Who is oh, it? Man. Should we tell, tell everyone who it is? Should we tell <laughs> yes, we shall. It is David Taylor. Yeah, David Taylor. Now he did study. Oh, you've got a biography actually. Do you want to read that I, biography? I have. I have. I've got his 150 word profile. So I'm going to read it to you. Feel free to could you, step in at any Could point. you read yeah. out? Yes. 75 words. And, oh, and and just read every other word. So start on um, <laughs> Okay, Which, word what one. do you want me to start on? Do, do, yeah. Let's do odd numbers. Okay, okay. Do you want me to do that? Here we yeah. go. One, the entrepreneurs, the, of. David has his on dynamic, energetic, to innovation, arts. I can't keep going like this. This is hard. So I think you get, a, you get a gist of, of, of the man that way. <laughs> Should I, should I do the rest with all the words? Just, you know, I know that's yeah. a radical right. okay, idea. Okay. okay, okay, look. So he basically 
it led him to being named on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, if you understood wow. what I was saying. Oh, is that what you were saying? Right. <laughs> no, that was what I was saying. Since creating Yorkshire Young Symphonia, it reached an audience of over 7.5 million people in just four years, with coverage including the BBC Radio 4 docu- documentary Birth of an Orchestra. Other coverage includes Sky News, BBC News, The Telegraph, The Times, Classic FM and BBC Radio 3. Um, He has received awards, including the White Rose Awards for Art and Culture, uh, which is the UK's largest tourism award. There you go. I think that was for Yorkshire Young Symphonia 2. And as a presenter, David has interviewed Louis Theroux (gasps) and Ramesh Ranganathan. Wow. I can't believe we didn't ask him about that. Why didn't we ask him about that? Why didn't we? (laughs) We really missed a trick. Darn. Darn it. Um, it ends with David is passionate about enabling the next generation of entrepreneurs in classical music. So we first came across David on New Year's Eve, wasn't it? This yeah. just gone. Oh, yes. He did a an awards thing called the Classical Music Digital Awards. I believe that's the name of it. I think it was the inaugural one. And I think it was too, yeah. Well, we won an award, didn't we, for best... Um, classical music podcast. We did, and we were totally taken aback, weren't we? Yeah, it was honestly a total shock and a really lovely end to uh, quite a rubbish year. But we were quite interested in in these sort of all these sort of ideas that he talks about. Yeah, ways of thinking about the music industry that aren't just your normal practice a lot, get a job somewhere, and that's it. Which is often the sort of route which a lot of people are led down. Uh, when they're studying yeah. music to be a professional. Um, and actually, he's got loads of great ideas and goes and talks to orchestras and individuals about different ways in which to have a, a lasting and successful career. So we actually, we thought, well, let, let's have a chat with him. Let's try and, like, we've yeah. got this podcast. Let's try and get this podcast to um, to get, you know, bigger and better and grow. Yeah. So we, before this interview, we had a chat with him for an hour so just to like as a heads up, we'd already chatted him for an hour. We were full of ideas and we were very warmed up vocally. Oh my god, we were buzzing, weren't we? I feel like I might be a bit shouty <laughs> and and irritating. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> In fact, I know having listened back to this to edit this podcast down, I am both shouty and irritating. So <laughs> apologies <Sorry>. in advance. <laughs> But um, there are really, really good nuggets of information in this. And yeah. I, I was thinking when we were doing it, I was like, we shouldn't release this one. This has got too much good stuff in it. This is giving it all away. <laughs> yeah. But don't worry, because I filled another full notebook of stuff that he said to us before we went on air, which has got more hidden gems ah, that we won't share. No. <laughs> um, hey, yeah. Seb, I've got a little quiz for you, actually, before we get into yeah, yeah. this, because I, I just mentioned that David's on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Yeah, what, um, what does I that wonder, mean? Well, it's, it's 30 of the most sort of talented, brilliant people oh. under 30 years of age. And in 2018, he was on that list. Right, I've got the list in front of me of the people in the entertainment category. Yeah. <clears throat> I wonder if you can name me three other people who might have been on that list. In 2018? Yep, in his year. Who was he sharing that list okay. with? Okay. I'm going to go in with Stormzy. <laughs> I don't think Stormzy's on there. What? No, no Stormzy. Right. 
But there are people of the same genre. Dave. Dave's not on there. <laughs> too, Dave, too early for Dave, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. No, uh, oh, yeah, you're right, um, you're right. He, he got big in 2019. Okay, I'm going to give you... A- I'm going to give you a couple of yeah. clues because this is hard, isn't it? Um, Greta one Thunberg. Person you know? Is it just British people? Oh, I'm on. I'm on the. Um, I'm on the entertainment category at the moment. Oh Sorry, yeah, I can do the full list. Um, okay, uh, uh, you know one person on this list. Well, I actually know them. Yeah, <clears throat> it's an actress. An actress that I know that I've I've met. Maybe from childhood. <gasps> oh. Natalie Emmanuel. Yes, also on the list. Wow, that's cool. I know. I went to school with um, Natalie Emmanuel. Well, actually, we I, I went to a boys' school. She went to the girls' school. And, right. Uh, but we we went to a summer school every year, and we'd do dance for a week, and we'd we'd um a week. We'd, I've never seen you dance. I don't think so. Oh well, yeah, I'm not I'm not as good as I was. Um, I wasn't very good. So, what was your special? What did you specialize did, in? Uh, like there were. Big group stuff, and we, we'd do like Gina G. Um, oh, no, <laughs> wasn't just Gina G, like all kinds of stuff, but <laughs> just Gina G, so niche. <laughs> it was a mainly Gina G summer school. <laughs> we just did whatever hits were out at the time. This is like, um, you know, mid to late 90s, and then there'd be a boys' band because there would always be about four or five boys me and barney my brother and some others and then we do like five or backstreet boys oh it my was god great. i really hope there's some youtube footage of this somewhere i bet uh, there is but yeah that, <laughs> I it will was find very it. good i used to love it actually and uh yeah natalie Aww, did that there we go then. and well, so yeah. two more i'm <laughs> gonna really. give you the first one is we talked about in the interview with him we sorry we talked about this person in the interview with David, yeah. There's another is this, name that came. It's international, is this British? Oh no, it's European. European. Hmm. Is it that wine man? Footballer. Oh footballer. footballer. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba. You're right. And I'm gonna one more, I'll give I've you one more clue. Uh this No <laughs> That's a shame. Um oh this is a band of girls. Two words. One of them's left quite recently. Atomic Kitten. Um they're very big. No. <laughs> I think they would be like the 30 over 50, wouldn't they? Um, they <laughs> um, <laughs> There's probably been about 30 members of the Tommy are... Kitten by now. Yeah, Them has. and the Sugar Babes. They're like, they're like the Blue Peter oh, of pop bands, aren't they? It's just a, a rolling, yeah. revolving door they policy. They really are. <laughs> was John Leslie ever um, in These are a bit in, younger. Uh, the, the he was in Atomic oh, Kitten, yeah. wasn't he? <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. This band, they are. They won X Factor or came second in X Factor, possibly. I think. Little Mix. Girls. Yeah. There we go. That's and there endeth my quiz. So they make up. <laughs> how many are in Little Mix? They're five. They count as one person, do they? Four, four of them. Only four, four of them. But they're one. Four, but one. And there's yeah. no one from Steps but in yeah, this anyway. at all. <laughs> too, too old, isn't it? Yeah, H, H is on the list. No, he's not. Anyway. Um, I mean, it, but well done, David, because it's a hell of a list. That is, yeah. There are a lot of people on there. Now, uh, let's get right into the chat and then we'll, we'll join you at the end for a little debrief and maybe some waffle. All right, David Taylor, here we go. We've just had an hour-long chat listener with David who has given us so many fantastic ideas because... 
first and foremost, we'd love to chat to you about your work in consultancy because it's incredible. And you are, uh, as has just proven to us specifically, a much needed person with all these incredible resources. I feel like I've learned so much from you. How on earth did you get into this in the first place? That is a very good question. Uh, So my background is that I'm a cellist, uh, although I don't play cello anymore. So that feels strange, but it is by far the best instrument. It really is. Well done. (laughs) A great, great footing. Um, Yeah. So the the fly through version of my, my life in the music world was leaving music college, not having the best experience, not really knowing what I wanted to do in the world. Uh, I then had too many glasses of wine and applied for a job at midnight, which is what everyone <laughs> should do with their career. Right. Um, and ended up teaching three weeks later, getting on a plane to go and teach music at a music conservatory in Jerusalem and living in <gasps> Bethlehem for a year. Yes. Whoa. Which was random. Um, and after being there and had a great time, came back to the UK and didn't really know what to do and had this idea in the back of my mind for a while of like uh, a youth orchestra for Yorkshire that would tie everything together and also not just do that, but have all my ideas about what music education should be. So sorry, I'm flying through this. It's a long story. <laughs> but in essence, it's time. We've got, we've got an hour. I've got an hour. So. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. And it was one of those things of like famous last words of like, how hard can it be to create a nonprofit and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, and yeah. it turns out very hard. Yeah. Um, but from there became fascinated about the, the business side of things, particularly the marketing and the digital. Um, we were very lucky and the orchestra became quite successful. So we reached seven and a half million people over four years and four concerts. Wow. Uh, and its first year was a Radio 4 documentary. Um, and it just it just kept exploding. And uh, amongst there, and, and one year I got named on the Forbes 30 and the 30 list with like Paul Pogba and Dua Lipa and Rita yeah. Ora. I was going to say wow. that. that is, that's a heck of a list of people. First there. mention of Paul Pogba on the podcast. Yeah, it's an unusual <laughs> one to get in the classical music world. It was, and they didn't tell me either. So I was literally on my phone in bed uh, again at midnight, which seems to be when all the good things seem to happen. And just flicking through who was on the list out of curiosity. And then my own face just came up. And it's like, <gasps> large amounts of swearing. And then rang my very supportive sister to say it happened, who told me to go away and go back to sleep. <laughs> Um, so that was very strange. But amongst all of this, yeah, it was becoming more fascinated about the business side, very fascinated about marketing and digital, and also really fascinated about how we don't really provide business skills in music education. And that we you can go to music college on the pops course or the jazz course or the classical and leave without a clue of how, like, one, what the industry actually looks like, and two, what you need to really survive and thrive. So from there, became more fascinated about that and both chatting to musicians at music college and individuals about business and careers and stuff and on the flip side organizations about all the weird and wacky ideas in my head about digital and the future of the sector uh so that's the, the abridged version and more than happy to dive into any of those elements or just general <laughs> well you're so wow. far ahead of the curve i mean that's the thing this year mm. obviously we've all been looking at moving digitally you know it's the basically being for musicians the only outlet uh so how brilliant that you already had that there as a foundation level and so you, I mean, you're consulting lots of orchestras, aren't you? In particular, well, not necessarily in particular, but you working with the orchestras. Are there any you've seen in particular who are really doing a good job of moving forward? What I found really fascinating about this as a job is just seeing how every single orchestra is completely unique in mm. everything they do, and. So it's it's crazy to see what they're doing in terms of their digital output, but how they work behind the scenes, the different challenges they face and all these different things. But 
in terms it's of like things, to put a word in for philomonia gin, may I say? Because I read your blog on it. The philomonia exactly. are producing gin, which is awesome, isn't it? Exactly. Like I think there's no reason why they can't have that and all these additional products and services. And like uh, as YouTubers, you'll see people sell coffee, even though they're a photography YouTube channel, all these different things. So why not have like extend the idea of the Royal Opera House's shop that's at the front of there selling cushions and all sorts to online things or gin and various things. So that's a great way of like monetizing the attention, which I can go on about for ages. <laughs> but um, yeah, the Philharmonia is well producing some stunning cinematic quality videos, which I think are way better than the BBC prom. So it's going to be interesting to see how they react because all their stuff is now obviously in the spotlight. LA Phil and their soundstage series is insane. Uh, and especially because that's all going out for free as well. Um, on the flip side, it was really good seeing RSNO and their, um, uh, their lockdown series at the beginning in April. And they weren't just doing performances. They were doing like a, um, a challenge, RSNO challenge every week where it was basically getting families and kids in their home to get bottles and make stuff. And the players were doing it from home as well. Uh, and then on the flip side, just seeing how musicians have adapted and started creating things and whether it is like a, um, a karaoke open mic night on Zoom that's ticketed and you also learn a song as a part of that or like yourselves creating podcasts um really reimagining what it is to be a business there's um someone i've been in touch with who before lockdown admitted that she as a musician or as a person had never done a video call in her life before yeah. and since then she has uh, been doing all her teaching online she's been doing master classes around the world online she's an online shop she's an online ebook she's been this all of a sudden <laughs> this like outpouring of digital content where she's just shifted everything and i think for me what gets me most excited is seeing the smaller and more nimble individuals and smaller ensembles get going using consumer-level technology to really connect. And, um, yeah, like Jesualdo 6 as well as a great example of people doing that sort of thing. Uh, there's so much going on, which is fantastic. But when did you start getting into the side of, of the music industry? Was it, I mean, this was like mm. way before the lockdown. What, yes. what did the landscape look like then? So the idea and the planning year for the orchestra was 2014-15 season with the right. summer orchestra course in summer 2015. Um, and the long story short of that, again, is that there was a lot of opposition to the idea. So the traditional route, which I was naively thought age 26, was that you go to music hubs, you have a great idea the national plan for music education says you should do this here's how i can do that for you you're going to say yes and help and there are 13 music hubs in yorkshire all of them work differently there's a lot of politics involved and there were a lot of obstacles is the polite way of putting it with one music hub in particular telling me to f off in the middle of the proposal meeting which oh, is not what i expected no. wow. um so is necessity being the mother of invention. So all of a sudden I was in a situation where I couldn't reach teachers, I couldn't reach parents, and I couldn't reach students to tell them about the opportunity. So how do I go about doing it? So then became fascinated about the digital side, um, building a website on the back of it, how social media could do it. All of a sudden this realisation that I could, in effect, get to a parent or a student's phone in their pocket rather than having to hope that... Uh, the music hub gives it to the local regional bit of the music hub who gives it to a teacher who then gives this flyer out and the, the paper copy has so many barriers in place. And that's when I became really fascinated by it. And that grew and grew and grew and I became a bit too obsessed with Gary Vaynerchuk who's uh, an amazing social media guy. Um, <laughs> what does he do? He uh, originally created Wine Library TV. Oh. His dad uh, had a wine wholesalers and he created right at the beginning he basically had this idea to go out and get a camera and would just sit on 
on a YouTube video and drink wine. Tell you what it tastes oh like. my God, he sounds like my kind of guy. Yeah. Terrible. Ferret is a wine person. I am. Yeah. You should be doing that sort of stuff. <laughs> exactly. It just needs to be a segment in the podcast where you just slowly, yeah, enjoy. Fine, I'm the best safer. We've, we've done a few days. Definitely. Yeah. Some of the longer episodes. You're a cocktail man yourself, aren't you? Didn't you used to be a cocktail Bar. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> at university I used to work in bars, uh, and then some of them ended up being nicer bars with cocktails, so I used to do that. What's um, your speciality? Um, the one I'm drinking most at the moment is a Negroni. <gasps> Very um, good, classic. But you used to really like making French martinis, they always seem to have like a nice surprise factor. Um, it has uh, Chambord, uh, it has pineapple, uh, it has vodka, so it's like this mix of... Um, yeah, it's a bit fruity. It comes out as uh, with foam on the top as well, which always makes it look a bit you. Uh, just from the pineapple stuff. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I took you right cocktail? away. No, no, no. I took you right <laughs> away from uh, just to, Yorkshire. Just to go back to yeah, one do. of the... Sorry, we went, we went, that was a tangent off of the tangent. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. That's you a new Gary level. something well, rather. A great tie-in for coming back to it. So I mentioned the, the Radio 4 documentary <laughs> in the first year and like what it was like. Yeah, yeah. And that was amazing. It came out on my mum's birthday. So like Aww. I definitely got brownie points for like... Oh, that's nice. I made a Radio 4 documentary for you. There you go. <laughs> Um, but at the time when I was creating and doing the startup, I was working, teaching cello and working full time in a two star hotel bar where you also had to call bingo. And <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I had this That's moment of being sat at home listening to this Radio 4 documentary with me and Alan Bennett about the orchestra being made. And it was amazing. And then having to put on this crappy pinstripe shirt with a horrible Velcro bow tie to go and work at this. <laughs> The hotel were like, lovely, but very like it was like Saga Holidays down about ten rooms. Like Phoenix Nights. Yes, it hundred percent was, and, and there'd be entertainers, and it was like sitting oh. there calling bingo that night, going like, "Today's been weird. Today's been very weird." <laughs> and just to finish the Gary Vaynerchuk story, he did this wine library TV thing, but he was very much um, first generation immigrant New York. Lots of swagger uh, would tell people the wine's rubbish and they shouldn't buy it. And therefore people went off and bought it. He would say it <laughs> tastes like mud. He got TV coverage and then became fascinated off the back of it. So he's now an angel investor of Twitter and Uber. And like, he now gives out all this like social media consulting for Nike and big things as well as doing like a daily podcast on his thoughts. So I got obsessed with him and like wow. how he said it could rechange the world and all these sort of things and started applying his ideas to, to music um and yeah that's my like lead into it in the third year which is 2017 we became the first youth auction in the world to use ipads instead of sheet music uh we also then ran live social media engagement during concerts so if you tweeted something with a hashtag at the interval it would come up on a big screen with your thoughts and processes uh and what we found my favorite story was that um two of the families were taking photos of the the orchestra during the concert they shared them and saw them on the hashtag and all this sort of thing. They then kept in touch after like realizing their they were desk partners and things. And the next year at the next concert, the both families went for dinner before the concert. So all Aww. of a sudden there was this digital side of like breaking on the boundary of not knowing who's at the same event to, to being a massive positive. And then in the final year in 2018, we started using uh, digital concert program notes as well that would stay uh, in loop with the music. So it'd be like a running commentary with what was going on. Oh, and they were all made brilliant. by the students. Yeah. So basically if it was, if it was weird, wacky, in digital i'd be on board with it i think was basically what i started getting invested in yeah but what were the other orchestras um doing at the time in terms of digital 
uh, mm. output. What was it like back then? Yeah, so very, I think quite similar to how it was before COVID. So lots of sell, 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 come see our concert and not necessarily thinking what an audience member may want to see. Um, a lot of orchestras adopted early and got quite big followings, but not necessarily uh, them being, when I say authentic, I don't mean they bought them, but they weren't getting huge amounts of engagements. There obviously some things doing well, but it was still a landscape where we weren't really being creative with how to communicate with social media. And I think in essence that hasn't changed a vast amount since then. Um, so it's, it's uh, been interesting to see how that's developed down during the last year in particular, but it was certainly a unique thing for us. And what I, I loved looking back is being on your own, you have that flexibility to be uh, changeable and to do what you want in effect and be that nimble, which at the time felt like a lonely process. But then now I can see as a, compared to an organisation of 60 people in admin, it's then easy to make decisions and do something when you fancy it. Did you feel like you were facing much resistance from, I know you were saying initially you were with the local education hubs around Yorkshire. When they saw what you were doing, did they get on board quite quickly with it and support you? Um, no. <laughs> it's the best Aww. answer. Uh, so in name only, yes. So we eventually became hub partners with 10 out of the 13. But again, there's a different rate of how they support it, depending on which music hub. So either some were nice and sent to students and were quite active. Uh, one of them we found out was deliberately, or perhaps accidentally, giving out our promotional flyers after the application deadline. Oh, terrible. So there's very much sort of a, we'll just say yes and keep it there mentality. So it didn't really feel like, for me, I don't think the music hub system worked in our area. Um, were and they it's, fearful, do you think, of what you were doing? They found it threatening or scary to move forward. They didn't want to. Yeah, certainly. And I can definitely empathise looking back and appreciate that all of a sudden out of nowhere was a 26-year-old kid coming like and saying, I want to do this and I can do it better than you. Which is, I can see it being perceived as that because more of my goals were I want it to be the world's best and we're going to be amazing at this and amazing at this, which was me more being aspirational rather than saying like, you're rubbish at what you do. So I can kind of see the flip side with hindsight, but equally being allowed time to say, for example, uh, to do the pitches and that sort of thing would have been much more appreciated. And I definitely think it was a, the, the music club system isn't always set up to, to really take advantage of what it was meant to do. For individual musicians, um, I think we've all had to realise like that um, as it's our only output, I mean, for, for a bit, like we didn't, I didn't really put any stuff of me playing the trumpet because it was like, at the start, it was like, it was a bit of a break. I didn't really put stuff out. That was like, have a bit of time off away from it, do some other stuff. Here's some bread. Um, here's me going for a walk. Um, but then it was like, oh, I should, oh, I'm going to practice again. I put some videos of me playing and then that got a bit of engagement. And then, but I, I could just see that like going, going, I hate this phrase going forward, uh, but I'm using it. I've probably said um, it about 10 times, sorry. Going forward. <laughs> Um, once things get back to some kind of normality, um, like it's definitely got to be quite an integral part of uh, of how we sort of project ourselves. Yeah. We would go along just doing gigs, keeping your name about, people would hear about you, you'd just do good performances. All you'd have to do in the past was just like turn up on time, play well, not be a, a four-letter word. Um, <laughs> but but I think now... I think you we have to all be putting stuff some kind of content out on Instagram don't mm. we like, I think that's that's It feels true. like the bar has been raised doesn't it now totally. Yeah and I think it's only a good thing and in the past this idea that you just turn up and do gigs and that works is great but what we've 
in essence, what we've done a part of that is that we've not had any ownership over our audience and we don't have followings. And why wouldn't we want like a hardcore community of 50 people who come to every recital we do, regardless of whether it's a solo thing, an orchestra thing or a band thing or whatever we're doing? Why wouldn't you want to cultivate an audience? We're almost in that environment before, especially in the classical remit world, being fishbowled and sort of an audience is detached. You never speak to them. They're not there. And we assume the gigs come in. But I think the, the benefit of this is it shows that we should communicate with audiences regardless as to whether it's on digital or not and start yeah. to be active in developing that following um one of my lockdown binge watches was a netflix series that i can't remember the name of but it was on um emily Doc- in paris Shit's creek oh, <laughs> as well as those um it was on dr dre and how he created the beats empire and all this oh, sort of cool. thing. Oh, yeah yes and in essence was I was- like the three part the three part one that was like yes it was him it- and his business partner who i can never remember the name yeah, of yeah i always forget his name yeah that was amazing that yeah and one thing i remember remember like commenting at the time was how amazing it was that him and all his contemporaries when they were young and starting out weren't just rappers they were also like a producer for my friend and I was also the marketing guy for this other person and I was then being manager for this thing and it was just like they were taking all aspects of the job and really getting that whereas I was like I will play my instrument and then that's it. We're not like helping learn the business of what, what could work. And I think this I was now having a moment of reflection to work out what needs to support us in our art. And that that means that we are empowered to create the art we want is only a good thing. And in essence, if we are just getting booked for gigs, we're not taking creative decisions. We're not involved in creating the art we want. We have no ownership of our diary in the same way we want to. Whereas now we have the potential for doing that, which I think as an artist is, is amazing. One thing is, a, a, again, a potential tangent. I'm amazed that music college is an orchestral musician that we're never told that if we get an orchestra at 25 or something, we won't make an artistic decision for 40 years. And is that yeah. something that you, a life you want to live? Yeah. No, this That's is it. And I remember that I remember having a session at college where they bandied around the word portfolio career. And I it's being, a dirty word. It is like it was sneered mm. at. Oh, I don't know. I need to practice and just get on with it. But actually, You know, it is one of those buzzwords, but it's true. You do have to be able to, and also for your mental health. I think if you're, if you're very much just down one path, there's nothing, there's nothing to fall back on. Also, you know, it's terrible to get far down the line and think, actually, what could I have done? What things you do have to be more open. So actually, I was going to ask you, David, if, if you had a, somebody who was hopeless with social media, maybe a cellist in their early (laughs) forties. Who wanted to start making a profile for themselves on, you know, as a performer, start building up their social media base? Have you got any kind of solid pieces of advice you'd say to help people start getting get themselves out there? Very good question. Um, So for me, ignore the numbers entirely. Like what you should be doing is all about the process, not the results. In the same way we would practice, like you're not aiming to get all the right notes, you're aiming to learn the techniques, methods, and all this sort of stuff, and. Regardless of where you're at, the good news is there's a free blog for absolutely everything now. So you can Google your way to finding out which buttons to press. Someone will have written it so that all the information is there if you need, if you're curious. And I'd take the time to try and think what it is that you're wanting to say and what you're wanting to create that is of interest and also what you find fun creating. Um, what I tend to advise with like, especially when you have people on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, like do the things you find fun doing. So say, for example, if you love writing, but you hate being on camera and speaking, don't start a youtube channel start a blog and like they seem like quite obvious things but in essence there's times when like i should be on youtube because the world's on youtube and it's the second largest search engine that's great and there's a reason for getting down that line eventually but to start off with it's going to be going out of your comfort zone you're going to have to like 
start having an element of routine to it and doing it regularly. There's more chance of you sticking to all those things if it's something you're going to start enjoy creating. So enjoy the stuff you enjoy. Enjoy trying to work out what other people may wish to join you on that journey with and just do that as a process. And then the numbers and that sort of stuff's going to come. In essence, it's practicing it in the same way you practice an instrument and you will get better. This portfolio career dirty word thing. We had this weird 100 year experiment in our sector of specialization where you were a quartet player or a, an orchestra player and you would be pigeonholed and that was it. But going before that, Mozart had a portfolio career of composing, playing the viola in a quartet with Haydn, or all these other things. Uh, Paganini was, uh, heard all these rumors about him being like selling his soul to the devil. So he started dressing in black and creating his image. And like, these are, this is the core of what we do. We just had this weird period where we thought we might be able to get like a salary position. And that isn't necessarily what we have. And it, it inhibits our creative flexibility, I think. So this going forward is only a strength and it goes back to the core of what we were. As musicians, we spend a lot of time going, oh, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. If you don't want to be the humble brag, or I don't want mm. it to sound like I'm showing off, which is so daft because it's our job, isn't it, essentially? And we, yeah. what we're doing is showing off, actually, quite a lot of the time. Um, yeah. But then also, you you have to put something out there. You know, you want also want people to see that you are, you are doing things, and you enjoy your career, and you want to share that. So what would you say? I mean, this tone thing, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, um... I'm not going to make you do it, but there's a task that I do when I've been doing workshops recently that's about brand. And I think brand then for me defines tone. So in essence, it's because it's so hard to do any task around being a musician without like getting stuck in the nuts and bolts of your day to day. So in essence, it's define your, define a brand in three words. And I start off by saying like, can you do it for three different car brands? Cause it's not music related. You can switch off. So like, how would you define in three individual words, Lamborghini, Rolls Royce and Ford? And then you okay, start trying okay. to work out car w- wheel. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so like, Lamborghini would be like flamboyant, expensive, expensive. Uh, exciting. There's a bit of crossover with Rolls Royce that may also be expensive, but it's you wouldn't say it's exciting. Old school, well, old school, old school idea, refined. Yeah. And again, it's also then what you want to be. They want their brand to be perceived as. So Ford would say that they were affordable, not Dagenham. cheap. Um, yes. Or Dagenham. Um, yeah. So there's those elements of like, that's what it is. And then the, mm. the next set is then like, here are three musicians to find what they want their brand to be perceived as in three Got words. It. And like, go like, Andre Rue is always a really funny one because people have to try and be polite. Um, <laughs> and then like, Yo-Yo Ma. women. He's those women. Yeah. T- yeah. He's a total legend though. He well, didn't Andrew he like Rue. bankroll everyone uh, uh, during COVID. Oh. I think like his mm. whole orchestra, he's like totally looked after them. Yeah, and, and like I, it looks like they all have a lovely time those guys. Totally. at Christmas. I love their dresses. Did you ever see did anybody have a grandparent or a great grandparent who used to get those ladies that you put on top of toilet rolls yeah. with the yeah. with the My yeah. That, They're the yeah. toilet roll ladies, aren't they, who play for him? <laughs> Lovely, mm. happy toilet roll ladies. <laughs> oh, totally. And like, he's turned it into a, a worldwide multi-million pound empire. So yeah. like, yeah. Fair, good on him. Doing it. Yeah. But that idea of like trying to work out then like, how would your brand apply to different musicians? And then the final part of the exercise is like, what do you want your brand to be perceived as in three individual words? And it, oh. it's it's quite a challenging thing to do. Yeah. But sort of again, to because I try to practice what I preach, the, the ones that I've settled on are innovative, provocative and caring. And then when it comes to my social media, this is like my my North Star. So if I ever am like worried about, do I post something? Do I not? Do I get engaged in this? Do I not? I try to run it past my brand. And then it's like, oh, does it 
does this resonate? Is it something that I say? Is it the way that I say it? And like, sometimes I'll do stuff outside what those three words are or various bits, but it's, for me, it's kind of like a North star to align to that means you've got permission to do things. And so, that it, it kind of helps the voice in which you speak which i think is the tone bit and in essence if you were down the pub or like post concert you wouldn't say to like something or it's like well i'm incredibly delighted to announce that i'll be coming up in the so-and-so program of this and like <laughs> that's not how you necessarily talk so why would you want to talk like to them like that on social media yeah so i think maybe that element is a useful exercise to kind of work out what you want to be perceived as, as well as like going down your strengths. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a fun one. It, it gets the, the juices going as thinking about like what you are as an entity. And for me, that defines like how you write your copy on your website, uh, the topics and things that you take on, the, how you speak on social media. You don't have to sort of like fully buy into it, but I think it can be quite a nice, yeah, North Star or like guiding nudge in the right direction. Oh, that's very good. And at the end of the podcast, we'll be hearing your three words. Verity, Verity, thoughts? Thoughts, (laughs) Verity? I was going to say, (laughs) you just got in too quick there. I was going to say your three. Go on. Go on, Seb. Got them? Oh, God. My three. I, well, I always, try try hard, is that one? Is that two words? Try hard. Try hard. Oh, you try hard. You're not a try hard, though. I'm a try hard. No, I try to be too funny. I try to be funny. Uh, Not... Not clear enough, a rambly. Uh, oh no, this no. is sad. I'm You're being, doing a I'm negative being... three. <laughs> oh, yeah, this sorry, is sorry. not right. You want positive? Negative, very negative. No, very, no positive. <laughs> um, Angry. I can't do negative. it. Uh, ha- fu- funny, fun, happy. I can't think about it. It's just too tricky. I'm gonna have to. Gonna have it's to it's a difficult one, especially on the spot. Like, like it's amazing. People tend to fly like through the car exercise. Though. Yeah, like. I try to think of it as provoking conversation rather than just being like shouting to the abyss. And when I've written blogs in particular, I've got, it's not my brand, but I have a mini rule that if I write a blog that's provocative, uh, critiquing something, I have to have a solution at the end of it. I can't just like slag something off for the sake of it and be like, it's all terrible, blah, and then just like walk off. Um, There has to be, I have to give like an answer. There's no point me being provocative without having a solution. Verity, you've got to tell me your three. Oh, Mm. I thought I'd managed to sidestep that. I mean, I I like to think I like humorous, humorous, um, light-hearted. I was going to say I was thinking about the third one. That's a hard one because I want mm. I want them to be fun and engaging. But I also I, I don't want to look unprofessional, <laughs> which sounds like uh, just to put a, like a sort of working edge on it. It's really difficult to get a balance because you want it to be humorous, but you don't want mm. to look like you're deeply unprofessional. So it's difficult, isn't it? That's mm, why yeah. I struggle. I think with. I- I put yeah the stuff I I put funny I retweet like funny things or, yeah. or I write try and write funny things yeah I guess it's okay to say funny because that's like that's okay isn't that's, it that's fine. yeah um, I, I'm open to lots of different things open to ideas that's okay that's two things and I can't think of a third one the third one's yeah. the hard yeah. one isn't it because that's one yeah. where you're going right I've got this this and now I mm. want to wrap it up in a nutshell with yeah. this. Mm. Yeah, so the good news with. is it doesn't necessarily have to be three. It can be two or five or whatever, but it's all oh, like oh, going good. through. <laughs> well, it's more the process ourselves. of trying to, yeah, <laughs> like, it turns into a like 20,000 word essay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just like that process of like, oh, how do I define myself as a, an entity and an artist? and Or how do I want to be defined as and what reflects it? And yeah. like that can reflect your music. So like... Um, Taking Andre Rue, for example, I think it's, yeah, enjoyment is one that always I always get from him. And um, mm. certainly Regal, Flourish, um, that element. Whereas like Yo-Yo Ma would be, say, like his, 
I don't usually like the word, but like authentic, genuine. Yeah. Um, lang Lang would be more like flourish again, exciting, sparkling. So you can get into your music as well as your, you as like what you would say on social media. But like social media is social. You're not there to be um, boring and do press announcements. You're there no, to be... Sure. So, David, who do you like? Who do you look to at the moment? I know you were telling us about the the wine gentleman earlier. Mm. Um, who who do you look at now and think they've got it just right? Um, for orchestras or for individuals? Well, which both you? actually? Both. That would be yeah. Uh, individuals, Esther Abrami, I have nothing but the utmost respect. She's incredible. Um, and especially for adopting new platforms. And uh, for her as a violinist, she made a decision at Music College that she's going to start doing social media as uh, a job in effect and really invest time and effort in learning it. Uh, and she's been incredibly successful some of her videos have like millions of views she adapted to tiktok when that first came out uh, and for her it's like led around the world she's now got a record deal just come out this week actually with sony classical Amazing. so it's been great to see how she does it the way she's active at doing it and her thoughts around it i think she's exceptional as a real like visionary for us doing it two set are very successful as a personal note i don't necessarily like their critiquing videos when they tear into other people but that's a more personal view but their content works um in terms of orchestras, it's difficult because I think orchestras all succeed in potentially different things in different ways. So like Orchestra Age of Enlightenment series of like introducing instruments is very successful. Um, yeah. Queensland Symphony Orchestra were doing a listen along series on Discord servers during lockdown, which I thought was a really like unique oh, cool. one. Yeah. Very different and quirky. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, loving RS No stuff at the start of lockdown in particular. The Philharmonia in terms of pure cinematography, which is stunning. Uh, LPO with their like clap along videos, I absolutely love. Like, I've seen I, I, oh. It's like they'll take like the percussion part for the Rite of Spring and have the sheet music going along on the top of the screen in time with the music, and you've got to clap when it says the thing. Like nice. it's like Guitar Hero, but for Rite of Spring, yeah. and I can't. That's do cool. It. <laughs> like sitting here, like, nope, I'm a cellist. I'm not meant to be good at counting. It's like that's what other people I was just, do. <laughs> I was yeah. just thinking about the cello parts for Rite of Spring. Yeah. Yeah. I did like, a lot like of late, counting. Late again, late again, late again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's a really good series. They also do one with a musicologist breaking down music and it's like shot on like a nice sofa and the way in which they talk about music is so... Yeah, like the idea of being down the pub talking to your audience. It's not some hardcore Shankarian analysis. It's someone unbelievably passionate enthusiastic about the music getting yeah. excited and talking about it and you can see this bowling over and explaining obviously the theory side in a way that is very accurate and clever but it's just bowled over here with excitement and enthusiasm which I, I really like as a series i saw that you've gone to turkey to ankara um not long mm. ago that looked amazing to go and see an opening of concert hall do you feel like are there any countries in particular that stand out to you as really getting it right Good question. Um, what I've found really interesting from, I'm preparing for a talk on Friday for the Association of British Orchestras Conference. Oh, humble, oh. humble brag. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Hashtag blessed. Around, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, there could be so many. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's around the future of digital. And one, the question of that is like, how do orchestras monetize their online concerts? And what America's starting to get right is that they're doing either free or very low price point concerts which yeah. in essence is like i'm not wanting to pay 20 pound for a performance when i can see that performance on youtube for free so yeah. how do you then get that sort of thing so i think american in terms of orchestras are starting to get that right in terms of price points anchor was really interesting in a country that was i don't know how they found me i just got invited on a press trip and this has never happened before so i was like yes i'm going on That's holiday amazing. in turkey it's um yeah did they look after you well 
very, very. Oh. <laughs> I've just spent the whole time just sending photos to family going like, I think they've got the wrong David Taylor. I know it's a common <laughs> name, but like this can't be me. Um, yeah. And the theme there was basically around sort of the future and ambition. And they were like investing so much in culture and like, we built this concert hall. We did it in 21 months. It's the biggest in Turkey, but it's going to be outdated within nine months when we build another bigger one. And we're going to do big ones in every city. And like, they're really going for it as like a cultural hub. So it was really interesting to see them like invest into it and it being part of their tourism strategy, which I thought was quite fascinating. Um, yeah. In digital's, I think a strange one though. It's, I think, it's been interesting to see stuff like the Berlin Philharmonic, which had such a head start on digital with their platform. And in essence, they haven't innovated since launching. It's not changed. The price point's still really high. They haven't opened up to new audiences during COVID, really, apart from a month where it was free and no one really cared. Yeah, so it's been interesting seeing the players that haven't necessarily developed during this time. Yeah. Um, one of the places I spent some time was New World Symphony in Miami, which is uh, an insane place. One, it's this gorgeous Frank Geary who did the LA Phil DeWalt Disney Hall um, concert hall building, but it's also a bit like South Bank Symphonia. So I was it's, just going to um, say that, yeah. but in Miami... Hmm, weird. Yeah, wow. and unlike South Bank, it's like a full-time job for the musicians. They get all all these lessons, workshops, career advice, all part and parcel. They get given free accommodation. Um, so it's like a whole community hub thing. And within there, they have all these cameras in every single potential performance venue hall in there. And I think it's five full-time videographers in a TV studio. And outside, wow. they broadcast a concert a month called Wallcast onto the side of the surprisingly wall. Um, and they get... 2,000 outside for free, but still sell out 750 tickets inside. So it's amazing seeing the tech side of that. But again, the uh, the challenges they face as a large organization, how do you then mobilize that into quick, frequent and personal content? So that's it's interesting seeing that they have a different challenge to like what you and I would face and just going like, yep, tweet, go. But I think that's certainly an interesting model. But for me, what I get really excited about is that we are one of the last unclaimed territories on the internet in effect we know that classical music is the fastest growing genre of streaming music in the world we know it resonates with young people and they're connecting with it digitally but in essence they're not doing it through the way in which we've planned it's not through our social media through our digital concert halls they've just found it on streaming services and potentially in spite of how good we've been so in essence what would it look like if an orchestra goes like right we're going to start like staking a claim flagging the ground we're going to go and capture this territory so i think for me the next five years are the most exciting as the the first people really start to work out how to do that for me what i think my weird bold prediction is like the largest orchestra in the world in five years or whatever like the most prestigious whatever you want to say uh, for that title isn't going to be one that we necessarily expect at the moment so it, i don't think it's going to be a berlin phil or an la phil it's going to be some disruptor who's going to come up um i saw a great speech the other day about game theory which i won't replicate but in essence it's like in an infinite game there are known and unknown players and that it's the unknown players that are always the ones that do the disrupting and the challenging so myspace wasn't worried about facebook it was worried about friendster because it knew about friendster and it was trying to replicate the same model whereas facebook just tore in as something completely different so I think it's going to be like Bournemouth have done some really good stuff with digital and like an orchestra that you wouldn't necessarily expect with respect to Bournemouth to go down that route because it's they're not the richest orchestra in the UK and all these different things so it's been great to see them delve into digital so it could be someone we, we don't expect or know yet who's going to be this like taking the crown of like yeah spreading music to the masses for the next few years but do you think that would be via a medium that no one's really thought of yet because I mean like in terms of like getting getting big and monetizing 
Um, because like as you said, people don't really want to pay for live streams. Mm. Is it going to be some other way, other platform we haven't thought of yet? Um, it could potentially be a different platform in terms of like a social media one, or like seeing how TikTok's being a disruptor and we still haven't necessarily got to grips with that as a sector. And then like um, Clubhouse launching like in December or whenever it was and that now becoming more of a thing. So there's all these unknown entities. Could you talk to me have about I, this, I please? That? I've missed that. <laughs> I have. I've missed it. And I it's... saw you tweet about it the other day and I thought, yes, I'm one of the people who does not understand. Please. I thought that would be entertaining because I have a friend um, who's fascinated by it and is always on it. And the downside of me doing working social media is that at the end of the day, I don't really want to use it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh, another one I've got to work out and think about. Um, but in essence, it's kind of a mixture between a social media platform um, and podcasting. So it's like a, you, you, it's like a, people can just come up into what's called a room. They talk. It's like a podcast, but it disappears at the end of it. So it's, there's no permanent record. So it's more like a dialogue conference forum podcast social media combo thing. Um, but it's only available on iOS at the moment. So that's sort of the, like stopping its growth. Um, so it's, it's certainly interesting, but it's that idea that there could be something that we don't know yet coming forwards. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that one's going to develop then? Do you think you've got a good feeling about Clubhouse? Um, it certainly seems to fit an interesting zeitgeist of people wanting to share thoughts in a way that is informal. And the con- conversations there, because it isn't recorded, do tend to be a bit more open and honest. So I think people have really enjoyed that and the interactive element of it. Uh, going back to the idea of humble brag, so far I found out most of the classical music ones tend to be people saying who they are, what they do, at the, uh, rather than tacking the baits. But I think that's more an us thing rather than the medium. And so like being a meritocracy with social media all the stuff that's naff like that will drop to the bottom so people will quickly figure out not to do that it, it certainly has potential um smarter people than me will figure it out so i think that will be uh it's the way that sinks or swims but it's definitely a gap in the market and twitter is launching something very similar that they happen to be i can't what it's called uh that will come to me later but they're launching a similar thing to clubhouse that they were developing at the same time birdhouse by accident exactly <laughs> twithouse yeah, yeah. house. I, I definitely would belong in house. Yeah, um, I, I think I've got a spot there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, I think for me, with the, it's not necessarily the platforms that's different, it's the paradigm shift as to how to monetize. And when you look at um, what orchestras have done, they've tried to replicate a, an outdated direct transactional model online, which in essence is like, I want, an audience will want a thing. They will come and give money for the thing for this one specific thing as a transaction. It, that money comes to me from the person and then they get to consume it probably in a day's time, maybe a week or maybe a year. Whereas now it's this weird ecosystem, especially online. And um, there's a really good book called Subscribed I'd recommend by an author that I can't pronounce or so won't attempt to, but it comes up as Subscribed Book in Google. And that talks about an ecosystem that in essence that you have your main core entity that may be free or may be charged, but then there's this ecosystem of other monetization around it. So for an orchestra or say a YouTuber, their main output on YouTube is attention and relationship building. And that's the main product. It's completely free on YouTube, and that, but that's there. From there, they can monetize the relationships and attention that they have, direct their audience by selling other products or services. So books, merchandise, album, courses, ebooks, whatever it is, that's stuff that they create to their audience. Or they can sell their relationships through advocacy to third parties and other businesses in the form of sponsorships or brand deals and all that sort of stuff. So say, for example, um, 
example of this is a YouTuber who I'm obsessed with called Peter McKinnon, who taught me how to do photography. Hey, yeah. perfect. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> exactly. So he's a yeah. photographer. He's also obsessed with coffee. So he's partnered with coffee brands and you get to like buy coffee yeah. from him. Uh, there's all the stuff that's direct to his consumers or audience. So like his, either courses he does or uh, he creates his own lens filters uh, with another company yeah. um, or um, presets. Yeah, I've, I haven't got anywhere near <laughs> I, them. I thought about getting some of them, but I did not. <laughs> I will be very jealous if you did. Um, <laughs> and then on the flip side, he then partners with companies who do adverts within it. So there's then stuff like uh, um, adverts for Squarespace and direct things. There's then the indirect ones. So like here's a partnership with Canon that he never talks about, but he only uses Canon. And as a result, all my camera gear is Canon. I've spent a bloody fortune on Canon equipment. <laughs> and that's probably the reason why. So in yeah. the same way, like as a musician or an orchestra, what that looked like. If say, for example, the entire orchestra only used Larson strings, maybe Larson paid them to do that. And you'd be like, oh, I really want to use the LA Phil strings. God, yeah, that'd totally. be amazing. in the same way that kids want Air Jordans 20 years ago. That's a quite an updated yeah. reference. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That sort of vibe. Or like if they go on tour as an orchestra, all their cases are Gower. And you're like, oh, I want to identify and have that in the same way as other things. And that you can really get to be creative. So I think for me, the world for the oyster, when it comes to the monetizing and how that model looks going forward, it's just a paradigm shift from being this direct transactional way of thinking that works in person and less so now to this subscription slash ecosystem of indirect attention focused and relationship focused monetization. If you'd had this kind of advice, sorry, when you were starting out at the beginning of your career, and when you were playing, in fact, back at music college, do you think it would have changed the direction you you went? Oh, totally. Like, I still had this idea that I was going to get an orchid job as soon as I left. And then... Um, it wasn't the best of cellists, but also at the same time, just the numbers element of it, it's it's crazy. And I think having information that is there to support you, and again, if you are in an orchestra as well, like why not be able to have some sort of secondary tertiary income that can come in? And the idea of like, if you get hit by a bus or have to become a carer for someone who's sick, all of a sudden your income's gone. So I think this, us being more open about what the business is, the, the challenges that we face and that we don't really have multiple income streams and it is quite fragile. Uh, the average musician earns, what, 23000 I think it is. So it's not like we're quids in and have savings for the majority of people. But this information needs to get into the uh, to our knowledge earlier in our system. And the, in essence, it is that at music college and even pre-music college, we should be open about what that is, the skills to be entrepreneurial, the creative thinking around it, and it be more about not hustle all that sort of money forward focus commercial side but more here's stuff you can do that can help support you to do the things you want to do creatively i think would be really beneficial but it was never mentioned when i was studying and i graduated in 2013 uh, oh no God, time ago no time exactly. ago at all <laughs> is the maths working out I'm going i can't remember when that yeah. was <laughs> but yeah it's it's it just seems to have been like as you say portfolio careers was a dirty word during lockdown i found my an old laptop from unit that had my final year cpd assessment thing in it and it was naff it was just three questions and it was something on the lines of uh, what do you want to do when you leave what skills we need how you get those skills I'm like great now set up for a career thanks for that yeah brilliant uh, yeah so i think there's a lot more to be done with getting that into system but also then there's this gap where there's so many people who have graduated who need this information, skills, resources, etc. Um, yeah. And at the start of lockdown, I started running a, a blog series, just basically trying to get as much free advice out there for people, which is still available if you're bored and at a loose end. Yeah, it's great. I've been reading oh, bits you. of it. Yeah, really, really great. Thank and I, and I thought that was so interesting, the one about the orchestra's uh, 
talking about how orchestras need to move forward in terms of monetizing and this new structure. I read that just earlier today and I thought it's it's so interesting and so right spot on so oh yeah, thank you definitely yeah, go and listen to it read it sorry i can't remember yeah. which medium i'm talking about <laughs> they, they all blow into one nowadays and it's part of my body today is let's just listen and speak it <laughs> yeah there's a whole range of stuff so there's that more like the ideas in my head about the sector in the future but then there's also like the button pushing side of like if say for example this is all new to you and you're like how do i go live on facebook there's a blog that will walk you through with screenshots saying which button to click so it's not just me spouting out big ideas that are in my head there's hopefully some practical stuff and like what free apps are available how to take better photos on your phone all that sort of stuff that's you know probably more useful (laughs) not undermining my other work but (laughs) (laughs) why is it that as a sector we're so useless at this and we're so behind so many others why is it something to do with our like we're so sorry i was just going to say if you're getting loads of background noise the children have just come out for their lunch break outside at school so sorry lovely carry on i know that's a that's a lovely thing to hear isn't it kids at school i think it is i'm not going to look to see if either of mine are out there (laughs) <laughs> out of sight, finally out of that sound of kids screaming in the playground it's been missing hasn't it, yeah, um, carry on, so, it. so i was just saying about um I, I wonder if it's something to do with the fact that we are as you say so you know obsessed with perfection and our we all all our focus is practicing on our own in a dark room like getting it as good as possible in order to get a job and all that kind of thing so uh, like putting out a video of us doing behind the scenes stuff or talking to an audience is like nowhere near the forefront of our mind. And why would we put out a video of us messing up, trying to play some scales? It's not in our nature to do that. So I I wonder whether it's because we've been like trained to, to put out this perfect thing with no mistakes. It then means that, that for us, yeah, you don't think of putting anything like that out on social media. And if you do put out a video, of you playing something really perfectly, People are going to be like, cool, nice one, mate. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Rather, if you put a video of you trying to play a study and fucking up halfway through, actually, that'd be quite a funny bit of thing. But you wouldn't think to do it at at first. You'd think, I'm not going to do that. Totally. That's a huge question. That could be a whole podcast in itself. Um, I guess there's two elements. There's like the the sector focus and the establishment, the people like the big organizations, and then down what that narrative then does to us as musicians. So from the top, there's not this level of necessity as the mother of invention because we're all, as organizations, supported by the Arts Council or philanthropy. And so our business model hasn't changed in 100 years, in effect. The only disruptor to that has really been recordings, oh, sorry, lighting, going back to like 1920s is how we change concerts. Um, then recording music, streaming that's basically it they're the only things that have changed in our business plans or how we do performances where so we haven't really changed i saw something really fascinating a while ago about the financial crises and that there isn't uh, an orchestra that went bust in any of the financial crashes you have to go back to 1955 in the uk to find the last orchestra that went bust which is the yorkshire orchestra um of all things oh, um which is uh, which actually was our going back as the humble brag, the Radio 4 documentary for ours was Birth of an Orchestra, which is a sequel to one called Death of an Orchestra. About oh, that orchestra. I see. Um, oh. So that was the tie-in story about the whole thing. But so in essence, we, 
we're removed from the necessity of business and changing with the times. And then what that looks like is quite a dysfunctional system. We have this, uh, up until very recently, culture of hero worship, of um, the suffering musician, that unless you're like miserable and going from gig to gig, you're not really working for the art, that in essence you should be allowed to be shouted and screamed at by Bernstein and everything that shows that you as a musician are poor and that he's a god and that those videos still keep emerging of like, that's a our view of perfection, even though it is a any other job, you'd be like, I'd like my employment tribunal now, please. Um, yeah. <laughs> and as a result, we have these dysfunctional systems and dysfunctional narratives that don't prepare people for a life outside of music or prepare us for a way in, in which we need to be flexible and creative. And again, I think that's stifled our creativity uh, up until recently yeah. until... The only reason I think that orchestras do outreach projects and diversity projects is not because of the greater good, but because there is funding for them to do it. Yeah. And in essence, it's that necessity thing. Like there was no need for them to do that when they could ignore it and have a financial model that would fund them. But then the Arts Council said and other foundations said, you need to have these things. And they went, yes, thank you. And that pushes the narrative towards there. And it's the same with using technology. They'll only do that if there's funding available rather than the fact of like, what is the eventual gain of this? And I appreciate that they have fragile models that are difficult to run and it's always a challenge but equally that shouldn't stifle invention and us pushing forward and progressing so i think that now that we are having people who are disrupting and able to do that on cheaper models who don't have these preconceived notions of i must buy uh, a ten thousand pound uh, robotic ptz camera when i could use a mobile phone and a gimbal look and a free app that can do it for me we're going to see some really interesting disruption and this is where the model's going to change. And I think that's top-down narrative then changes how we think about like our auditions, what the system is set up at music college. And in essence, it was always to go to this sort of top model of like you're an international soloist who has to win a competition because that's the only way you get to be famous. And in essence, that doesn't work. The competition one I find really interesting because I understand it in the past of when you were writing to play with an orchestra or a concert, you'd be like, I'm a good musician. How can you show me you're a good musician? I have won this competition, which has validated me. But like, great, I understand that now. But when you can send a CD or a YouTube recording and they can judge themselves, that makes more sense that you don't need that sort of validation bit. And I don't think cr- competitions, apart from obviously having a financial benefit really again help creativity help our sector i'd much rather someone be interesting have something to say and can connect to an audience <laughs> what have you two sort of learned along the way now sort of put the podcast foot on the other Ooh. shoe what have i learned along the way because obviously it's uh, a development use, for everyone during this time loads of different equipment and sound things and i, <laughs> as I which i prove <laughs> this week's gonna be very boomy because i'm downstairs but just how to make how to create and I sat using microphones in different ways. That's been really interesting, actually. I never thought I'd say those words and I genuinely mean it. I find it interesting how you can produce better sounds for speech and play. One of my favourite tweets from this time was someone saying, all those lectures on Shankiri and analysis were really useful for learning how to plug a microphone into my computer. <laughs> <laughs> Great, yeah. music college didn't teach me how to do that. Yeah. Woo. What about you, Seb? <laughs> oh, God. Um... I, I mean, my life has changed so much. I've had a baby. I've, I've moved oh, out of my flat. I've moved into my mother-in-law's. Uh, I'm, hope, I'm doing up my house to move into that. It's uh, I'm, uh, it's just a weird. It's a weird time I'm, I'm currently living in, where I'm just sort of just not really, not really doing any creative stuff. I'm finding it, you know, finding time to do anything else. Like is because um, I'm just looking at building the house and all that i don't know it's just um it's 
a difficult thing at the moment. And, and I, I th- think back to like the early, early days of lockdown and I was doing jigsaws and um, it was like a lovely time doing Zoom quizzes. Um, it's, I don't know, I, that's not really qu- the answer to the question you asked me, but um, I'll just sort of tell you what, you what I'm going through. <laughs> what have I learned? I'm, I, ha- oh, well, I, I really, oh, I just miss being, being with friends and being, being, having a shared experience like that's like the main thing isn't it just just being in the same room as someone yeah Mm. out of curiosity as well how are you feeling about your first performance back um well i haven't got one but it'll be so emotional but i'm (laughs) i'm very excited yeah um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing i can't wait i've done i've done the odd thing like I, i did do a live thing in the summer one live gig but it was like with uh, but everyone was in kind of boxes on the floor sort of sat down it wasn't normal and it, it it was great though but i think we've had so much more time since then that it's going to be like honestly just like playing with an orchestra to an audience oh my god it's gonna be so good yeah we did those uh, things that i don't know if you saw in greenwich park ben marshall had organized these um things where you just turned up played through a symphony and then disappeared again in the middle of Greenwich Park. That was first lockdown. Those heady days of lockdown one, Mm. um, that was wonderful. And I remember the first one we did that, I felt really emotional. So I was like, I I just thought it was going to be a lot longer before I'd be playing with that number of people again. And there was like an audience that just sort of dribbled in, you know, it was all very ad hoc, but it was, oh, that was really special. I can't wait to feel that kind of feeling again. I'm really craving it at the moment. I'm, I'm really missing it at the moment. I'm mm. going to start by practising some scales. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Woohoo! Wow. We move on to proper studies. Oh, all... no, no. Well, never, never. David, I bet you miss them, don't you? Nope. <laughs> no, not one bit. <laughs> it was funny, you were saying like, people putting their exercises and sort of messing them up halfway through. Like, I saw someone doing that for proper studies and it was like, straight away, like, chill down my spine. Like, oh, that brings back <laughs> comfortable memories. <laughs> <laughs> I really understand, Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's funny, like, after leaving music college, I probably did more, like, actual scale practice and technique stuff when I was abroad and teaching. And these moments are going like, oh, crap, this was really useful, actually. Like, I actually sound better for doing some warm-ups. How was it out there? Did you have a brilliant time in Jerusalem? Uh, yeah, insane. Absolutely insane, but it was fantastic. And the fact it was this weird daily commute of, like, from Bethlehem through the wall uh, into Jerusalem and then... Like, on a my, camel? I, I wish. It would make for such a better story. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, but like my bus stop was the garden tomb where Jesus was buried. And it was like, oh. all right, that's weird. And then occasionally wow. you see like a road sign of like Jericho, 40 kilometres. And you'd be like, that's not a place. And it, like that fell down. I learned this in primary school. That's not there now. <laughs> um, it was just very weird. And like there's a KFC in Bethlehem. And it, it was the there's most... a pub called the Three Kings. Uh, they're missing an opportunity for that. They really Stop. Were. The, the, the amount of puns I could make that year were just incredible. It wouldn't stop. Um, but no, the most amazing year, and it was a wonderful, heartwarming place. And the, the students I, I played with, they were, went through so, so many difficult times in their daily life and other elements. And yet then, yeah, their inner character and fortitude and hospitality was wonderful. So it was very special. Also then fascinating seeing the difference in culture of like learning music and over there, very virtuosic, very good at playing their pieces when they were learnt utterly dire at sight reading as i would tell my students regularly and it would be like, <laughs> hilarious to see what would like a diploma level cellist really struggle with grade five sight reading and be like 
all right, <laughs> weird. But on the flip side, like it'd be the sort of thing where in the UK, the sight reading would be that much better, but then the solar stuff, but oh, I can't play this, it's terrible. So yeah, it's just really that. <laughs> fun to see the, the difference in like how people learn and the culture side of it. Did they learn, were they good at yeah, like improvising or doing things by ear? Or mm, like yeah, that? so, that's the thing we wouldn't be so good at as a, in general, I'd say. Definitely. So um, there were quite a lot of, um, even the ones doing Western instruments would also then do uh, Arabic formants and then that learning of uh, traditional music by ear as well was certainly in there. Um, I ended up playing in a teacher's ensemble with them doing Arabic music and they got very confused that I was using sheet music but also that I could turn up on the day and sight read it and <laughs> that sort of thing so they yeah. were amazing at working out quarter tones that level of inflection they really got character really quickly um it was really interesting from like a whole pedagogical side of comparing yeah. like what those things and stuff was like um and again just like the focus on music and uh level of learning and things was really fascinating yeah I had such a special time there it was absolutely wonderful mad absolutely mad but um, so on my road was two of the Banksy paintings, the one with the dove and the bulletproof vest and the other, oh, yeah. the, uh, the soldier getting patted down by the little girl. They were both in my street in Bethlehem. It was, um, weird, very weird, different, different. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think the, the bit I sort of learned from that was, yeah, sort of taking the opportunities and exploring the weird stuff you might not want to or expect to. Is it a little is, town? Um, I would say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I didn't even twig on that one at first. <laughs> oh, well, what's, your favorite, what's your favourite melody of A Little Town of Bethlehem? Is it, there's two, aren't there? That's the only one I know. What's the other one? Yeah, well, there's the Frank Sinatra. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still the sea does lie. Got the words. Oh, a duet <laughs> over Zoom. That was nice, wasn't it? Exactly. No, just, isn't it nice to make music together? It's so nice. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's come to Christmas carols in March. Just like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll just do it. Whatever brings us together. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that was the end of that chat. Way. Yeah, thanks, David. I learned Thank so you. much. And he was great that he talks about tech and uh the internet and digital the digital age and i understood everything he said which is come a long way thank you yeah you've learned a lot in this last year (laughs) i think so i think i think we all have haven't we yeah um it was hard when he was asking us those to pick three things to describe how we wanted to be portrayed wasn't it really how did you feel when when you had to do that painfully self-aware how Mm. about you yeah, I, I thought, oh my God, I don't know who I am. I don't have an identity. Oh. What's my brand? I oh feel God. like um, um, Jeff Goldblum as a cameo in, um, was it Manhattan or Annie Hall? And he's on the phone to someone and he's going, I forgot my mantra. <laughs> I think that's the line. I don't know if that's related, but basically I feel like, what, who am I? What, what is my thing? Yeah. What's my thing? I know it's scary trying to approach that. As, as British people, I think that's quite a difficult thing because we're all, you know, quite self-aware and self-deprecating. And so yeah. it feels a bit cringy having to say, well, I want to be funny and I intelligent so. and whatnot. I, be- I think because we've not been doing this talking part of our career for very much, have we? So this is quite a new thing. 
So we're still getting, I'm still getting used to what my thing is in that yeah. regard. I've been playing the trumpet. So I think I know what I'm good at with that. I yeah. certainly know what I'm bad at, but <laughs> I know. What, but so I think I could answer it for that. I was thinking that, but, but as a, just as an individual, as a, um, I wanted to say as a pillar of the podcast community, as an icon. <laughs> That's how we all see you. <laughs> pillar of the podcast community (laughs) no (laughs) i think i'm a pillock of the podcast (laughs) well yeah yeah, so i'm gonna have to think about that third one the the third word yes we both couldn't think of that could we it's very tricky um but he gave us so much to think about and i feel really inspired actually Mm. you know i've been scribbling notes and writing proposals and all kinds of shenanigans yeah some better than others. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. Like there are, it did make me think, oh, really? Like we've got, we've all got things going on. We've, we've all got these skills we've learned that really we should, there's so many opportunities out there to, to make a bit of money. Yeah. To, to do some really interesting stuff. Um, exactly. And I know now it's actually kind of hard because, because there isn't any opportunity to really do any, any of that live stuff or creative stuff, those like putting on a, your own concerts or doing, it's just a bit more tricky, obviously, at the moment. But it is interesting. Like, now, you know, we've spent all our careers just taking on gigs and doing doing stuff that way and, and just following our, whatever, the phone call comes in, you do that. Oh, I'm doing a tour. It's amazing. Cool. Yeah. I don't have to think about it. I didn't plan it myself, but this has kind of given us the opportunity to kind of come up with our own stuff and try and make it happen. That's right. And exactly. Like, I feel like I'm, a, I'm not at the start of my career where I don't know anyone. I feel like I've been around a little bit now that I can, we can go up to people and say, hey, w- um, how about doing this? This is a yeah. cool idea we've had. People might listen to us. Yeah. And well, you never know. Never know. Yeah. It's definitely worth a punt, isn't it? He's got a, very much got a can-do attitude. And I think that's so yeah. good. Like it, we said to him, you know, we were discussing things we could do with this and, He's just like, well, yes, obviously you could. Yeah, it's obvious. Rather than us being, uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of, um, you know, when we chatted to Lizzie Ball and she had that yeah. kind of thing as well. She'd just come up with an idea and then just make some phone calls and just try and make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And you go, oh, yeah, just just do it. Just And, and yeah. I remember Amos Miller as well talking about this with, with saying how they always get composers in to write a new piece for every every concert they do uh, with um, Onyx Brass. And he says, like, they, they can just say no. That's the worst thing they can say. Just just yeah. try it. And they might just say, yeah, sure. It's, it's very true, isn't and it? It's, you might, it's not actually that expensive, maybe. You might think, oh, it's never going to happen, but just give it a go. Exactly right. So there's so yeah. many opportunities out there. So hopefully, I hope, listener, that you've listened to this and you've come away and you thought, Hey, I could do this thing now. I hope so too. <laughs> hey, you mentioned Louis Theroux in the intro. Yeah. I've been finally catching up with his podcast series. How is it? I haven't heard any of them yet. I think I, it came, it came out like a year ago, didn't it? His first series. And we started doing this a year ago. And I remember sort of making a concerted effort not to really listen to any podcasts around that time. because I was trying to focus on this and I didn't want to be copied. Didn't Very want to... much our competition, isn't he? Well, yeah. 
<laughs> I just, I didn't want to like be too influenced while I was making something. Wise. It's quite easy to, to do that, isn't it? Like I didn't want to copy a format too strongly. I wanted to try and find our own feet. And then in the summer, I started listening to more stuff again. Uh, anyway, I, t- I totally forgot about it. And then I've been listening back and he's, he's good, isn't he? Oh, he is so, so good. But I've only heard him as a guest on Adam Buxton's when I've seen his TV series, but I haven't heard any of his podcasts yet. Which one should I start with? Just start from the beginning. Okay, great. Who's the first oh. one? <laughs> first one is John Ronson. Oh, I love him. And then great. Boy George, then Helena Bonham Carter, Lenny Henry, Rose McGowan, etc. Yeah. Miriam Margulies. Oh, I've seen clips of that. Great. Yeah. But what what he does, which <clears throat> I really, such a great idea, and I wish we could have done it, is um, he says at the start, I, I record my end, the guests record their end. So he sets that up as an idea. And then every now and again throughout the interview, something will go wrong and the sound will go bad. And they'll just talk about it. They'll go, oh, I haven't plugged the thing in. And <laughs> this happens to us like every time we interview <laughs> yeah, people. It does. But we always just cut it out like to make it sound professional. And why? But you could just why leave it we in. Do it? We should have just. Yeah. Why did we bother? Well, should we? St- we can way... start now. It's fine, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was that whole episode yeah. at Christmas when we were speaking to Phil, and the internet just cut out for everyone. Do you remember? It was That's just right, it yeah. was, and hilarious because you get everyone's bit of audio going. Oh, hello! What? <laughs> yeah, oh right. shit! <laughs> That was a bit, I don't know if we left it in or not. And I was like, oh, I bet Verity's turned off her recording yeah. in this bit. Yeah. Idiot. I've not and then forgotten you're going, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you hadn't. You had kept it running. No, for like once. Right, right professional. <laughs> for once I'd done the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's good. Yeah. Check out Louis Theroux. He's also done some good TV shows. <laughs> yeah, he's great. I think they're on Netflix. Uh, oh, uh, I don't know if you put this in show notes or not. We will, we will. But David talked about uh, that show on Netflix with Dr. Dre. No, I did not put it this in. I you didn't. Will. It's yeah. called, oh, I'm going to double check this. It's called, hang on. Just Googling it. <laughs> the, the listener's going, just say it. It's called The Defiant Ones. I knew it was the that. The Defiant Ones. Check. And this is the Dr. Yeah, Dre yeah documentary he was talking about isn't it yeah it tells the unbreakable bond of trust and friendship between music legends jimmy iovine and dr dre two street smart doctors from different worlds two street sorry, sorry. two street two street smart men from different worlds oh. who together <laughs> defied traditional wisdom and transformed contemporary culture in the process and sold a lot of headphones yes they yeah they sure did so that's what it's all about, and it's uh, it's a great documentary from a few years ago, but I'm sure it's on uh, it's on Netflix. I think check it out. Yes, I certainly shall once I finish. See, that's what we've got to do, agent. right? That's what, like Dr. Dre was doing music. He's produced. He's like one of the top producers in in the world. Yeah, he's got his own music going back to the 80s, 90s. But what's really made his money? Headphones. It's something, it's something else, which is kind of related to music, but it's a whole other thing. Well, if we can get these pen- pencils with magnets on the end. <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can make a fortune. 
Yeah. <laughs> One of these days we'll be millionaires. Okay. I can just tell. Right, listen, listen like, we, we tried to find some <laughs> pencils with magnets. <laughs> um, we tried to find, you know, so pencil, it's a pencil, right? But it's got a magnet on it. So you can like loss it at a music stand and it sticks and I you'll never that. lose it. Yeah. And we tried to find some online, but we couldn't really find any. We want to get some with three and a bar written on it. And uh, ideally with a rubber and for the lead to be 2B. Yeah. I right? don't think it's too much to ask. Do you? It's not enough. Yeah, it's, it's not, not too much it? to ask. No. So if anyone could help us find that, or maybe you work at uh, that pencil museum <laughs> or or some kind of factory. Please get in it. touch. That could be our thing. Yeah. Please. <laughs> Please. Dre's got his headphones, we've got our pencils. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so I don't think there's much more to mention. I'm just still up to my neck in decorating and, and all that, but it's getting close. I, Hooray! I think it's another week until, until we're going to start moving in. That is so exciting. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> and hey, restrictions change. Yeah. From tomorrow, today, today, and tomorrow is my birthday, and I'm going to have a rule of six oh. birthday party in my garden. Because yeah. apparently Way. the sun's coming out as well. What? Oh, I know. So, good. so excited. So that'll be oh, good. Well, look, everyone, let's all sing happy Come birthday on. to Verity. Okay, here we go. One, two, three, four. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Verity. Happy birthday to you. Oh, and harmonies and everything. Well, hey. Thanks, guys. That was so nice. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. That was lovely singing. Celebrating my 400, 460th birthday this year in lockdown. Good Lord. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. That's all right. <laughs> When's Rob's birthday? It is two weeks after mine. He is two weeks ah. my junior. Lucky, lucky person. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, should we go? Yeah, off we go. Let's finish this podcast. Bit of a waffly one today, but... There we go. You know, hope you've enjoyed that. If you like the waffle, then... I don't know. Thanks. Well, that's just what you get. If you getting. don't, Thanks. switch off earlier, I mean, if, you know, fair enough. If you like the waffle, then then obviously you're still listening. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, well, well, we'll let you go though now. <laughs> but you, yeah. um, How long can we leave it? Just just sort of talking. I can, go, I can go for hours. And... It's like an art form, but we won't. We should say there's a Patreon and there's an extra bonus episode of David. Oh, yes. So if you want to hear more of David then uh, check it out. Don't know how much more there is. So, uh, haven't actually edited that bit yet. <laughs> there is more Just though. More. 20 and minutes it's all good. Ish. So, yeah, of course it is. Join so, our So link in description down below. Join the Patreon. Help support the show. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbours. Tell your MP. <laughs> and be great. Be cool. Be cool, guys. <laughs> right, let's Quick, go, let's go, go now. Let's make a break. See ya. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 